the end, whatever our end is, whether that's Jesus coming back first or us leaving this earth, we want to endure it to the end with joy. With joy. Even if we don't see it. Even if we don't see it. And then this is the most important part. We're going to be inspired to disciple others into this message because we're going to understand it. Right? The clarity and the, and the commit, uh, the clarity, no, leads to confidence, which leads to commitment. That commitment's going to drive us to others to share this message that gives us hope. Right? Okay. So we're going to spend whatever, the next 30 minutes, I get extra. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> if it feels like 40 minutes when it's only 10, then, you know, tell me. <clears throat> I'm going to take another drink. I'm usually not like dry mouth. I must be really nervous. I'm going to start spitting at y'all. It's your baptism. Thank you. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Don't. All right. So right off the top here, I'm going to give you the Melissa Vanderlinden definition of the kingdom. Okay? I didn't find this in a book. You're welcome. And so it's going to sound really big and daunting, but I figure I'll give it to you up at the front, and then we'll unpack it as we go. Fair? All right, the kingdom of God is the universal rule of God over his people and creation. We got that slide. Reestablished on earth through Jesus, the Son of Man and Messiah, made available to believers through the Spirit, though it is awaiting its culmination at Jesus' second coming when all God's enemies are conquered and a new age begins. Does that sound like a fair definition? Some of you are like, I never thought of it in so many words before. But now look, you have some words. So we're going to quickly make our first point because I think that this is pretty intuitive. The universal kingdom, right? Uh, it has no beginning. It cannot be invaded. Um, Putin can't go rush in and seize it, right? The, it cannot be seized like kingdoms. Sorry, was that too, too soon? I'm sorry. And it's not, you know. I mean, I'm talking for real. Kingdoms on this earth can be taken over by other kings, but not this kingdom, okay? It can't be annexed. It can't be seized. It can't be, uh, it can't be taken. It has no end. It isn't limited by or subjected to our physical realm, right? Our physical sphere. So ancient Jews understood this. This was revolutionary at the time. That ancient Jews believed the God of the universe was one. One king who ruled them all. I said that for you, Brad. I was like feeling some Lord of the Rings vibes this morning. One king who ruled over all, the the whole universe, unseen and seen. Many Old Testament scriptures point to an everlasting heavenly kingdom, a dominion that endures throughout all generations. We see this in Psalm 103, that the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. This kingdom endures even if heaven and earth, as we know it, pass away. You were just saying, as long as the earth remains. Why would you say something like that unless you believe that there would come a time that the earth as we knew it would not remain as such? Okay? But even if heaven and earth as we know it pass away, am I blowing minds just by saying that? The universal kingdom of God remains. He remains in control of it all. We read this in in Romans 13 when we see how God um, appoints every human authority. 
He's over even every human authority that exists has been established by God. We see that in Daniel 2, John 19, Isaiah 45. And this is why we see in Psalm 2, remember you have this God who's sitting in the heavens and laughs. Why is he laughing? Because there's these mighty kingdoms, in our opinion, with mighty kings who think that they're doing something that is ultimately futile because his kingdom rules over all. And his plan is going to succeed over all things, right? So that's our first point. God's kingdom is universal. But now we reach our second point that God's kingdom is also physical. We have to set, this, set up this idea of a physical dominion of the kingdom of God because God wanted to dwell with his creation. The whole reason, the whole reason we have this physical kingdom on earth is because God wanted to dwell with us. So what's he do? We read in Genesis 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve are given dominion over the whole earth. He shares his kingdom with them. They are his vice regents. Have you ever heard this word before? Something like an ambassador, a stand-in for him on this earth. And they start performing the creative acts of God by even starting to name things, right? So they're already starting to take this dominion on the earth. They were made in his image. Only man was made in his image for that purpose. But then what happens? This is not a surprise to any of you that Adam and Eve sinned and they handed over, they surrendered their kingdom, their authority over to Satan, right? Why is that? Because the, although the kingdom of God always wanted man in it, it could not involve corruption. Why? Because God is holy. His kingdom is holy. He can't have a kingdom that's not holy, right? So what happens is he has to shut the door to that place. He has to kick them out of Eden, and suddenly the earth is filled with the curse. It's filled with sin and the enemy's influence. I'm not telling you anything new, right? But we're just walking through this definition. But before he kicks them out, he gives them a promise. Right away in Genesis 3, we read the beginning of what we're going to see in Revelation 22, right? I will put hostility between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. That's all you get. So we have this first prophetic promise that someone, a man, would come in the future who would be able to deal a fatal blow to all of these enemies of God that had come in through the surrendering act of Adam and Eve. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a couple hundred years. We get this chosen people, Israel, and it's from this nation that, ar that arises this cry. They start crying out for a king, and God's like, oh, I really, I really just want it to be your king, but I'm going to let you experience what a kingdom of the world looks like, okay? And he gives them Saul. We experience what a kingdom that comes from earth, what a kingdom that comes from the earth looks like. But David, he comes up. He's a man after God's own heart. He believes the Lord. He offers to build the Lord a house. He says that the Lord deals with him according to his own righteousness. Can any of us say that? Lord, thank you for dealing with me according to my own righteousness. We... We couldn't say that, but David says, gets to say these things for, 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 before the Lord. He truly believes the covenantal promises between him and the Lord. 
So he has this covenant made with him. The Lord speaks to him through Samuel. And 2 Samuel says, the Lord declares, this is after David asks, can I build you a house? And God says, oh, I'd love for you to build me a house, but your hands are dirty. Your hands are bloody, basically. And only a man of peace can build my house. Anyways, that's just for free. He says to Samuel, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. A dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Now, I just want to highlight a couple of things because there was a partial fulfillment in Solomon. His actual son did fulfill some of these promises. But there's a future fulfillment in the stump of Jesse that we read about in Isaiah 11. And what's going to happen through that stump of Jesse, through Jesus, is a house is going to be built, a temple. Who is that temple or what is that temple? Who is it, Lisa? Us. Us, we are that temple. Don't we read that in the New Testament? Peter and Paul both tells us, don't you know you're the temple of God? Or, or Peter says, you are the living stones in the temple. He's building a temple that will last forever. I will secure his throne forever. What does it say? Uh, where's the king's part? A dynasty of kings. There we are again. Okay? We are even prophesied in there, right, right, right there in Samuel. But now prophets continue prophesying about this kingdom, this, this messianic kingdom, despite the failure of David's kingdom. We see in Daniel 2, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And even Jeremiah 33 is going to reiterate the whole covenant with, in 2 Samuel and, and says that even though Israel has broken their covenant with him, that he would not break his covenant with them. Okay? He says, I won't break mine. You can read this in Daniel 7, Obadiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Zechariah. They all will emphasize this coming messianic kingdom. And from that time period on, through the time where Jesus kind of takes the stage, we increasingly move toward a, uh, this, this, this hope filling Israel with a messianic, the, the hope for a messianic king who would reestablish and solidify the kingdom of David forever. And it became increasingly eschatological. Is that, name, that, that word familiar? Meaning it's associated with the end. They started associating this forever kingdom with the end. The end of what? The end of evil. The end of corruption. The end of a corrupt age that's filled with the enemies of God and Israel. They were really concerned about their own enemies, right? The nations around them. And it was the beginning of a messianic age, which Jews called the coming age. A transformed creation filled with God's righteousness and peace. It is that thing that Paul is re referencing in Romans 8 that our spirit's groaning for, okay? I just want to read you some of these uh, prophecies about what that age looks like. Isaiah says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift sword against nation and they will no longer study warfare, and Isaiah 11 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You can also read this in Hosea 2, okay? 
So we're moving towards this idea that this kingdom that, that, that's going to be reestablished on the earth would be eternal, that it would take things back to the, the way that they started when Adam and Eve had dominion over it. Now, how this restoration would occur would be, would be accomplished through a day of the Lord. There had been many day of the Lords in, in Israel's past, like their exile um, from Babylon was a day of the Lord. But there was an, a future day of the Lord coming, a day of wrath, a day of visitation. You can see this in Revelation 16. When God's wrath is poured out on an unbelieving world, but besides being a time of judgment, it would be a time of salvation. So we read in Malachi 4, it's kind of a long passage. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Okay. Yes, take a minute and let that sink in. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't see things through this this lens of like that God was coming in this day to make, to change everything that as we know it. And it puts everything in perspective when you see this, especially when you think of when Jesus comes onto the scene, what they must have been thinking was happening, okay? The entirety of the Judeo-Christian faith is based on this expectation, Messiah King ruling and reigning age to come. So by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, Considering they had been, since David and Solomon's kingdom, they'd been plagued by evil kings. They'd been exiled to Babylon. They had returned home only to be ruled by Persians, Greeks, and Romans for hundreds of years. And yet, they're holding on to this hope. And then you have this man from Nazareth walk into the synagogue, picks up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. If you don't, that's called the Messiah's Jubilee. I just want to look at Mark 1 really fast. I think it's the first or second slide, Debbie. Real, real brief. Mark 1. The top of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's uh, baptized. He goes out and he's tempted. And he comes back from these events. And this is his first message. Let's call it his first sermon. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Almost every single word in there has, like, rich history behind it. Like, I can almost not say, what time is fulfilled, Jesus? If I'm, if I'm a 21st century American Christian just stepping into church for the first time, I don't know what he's talking about. What time has been fulfilled? Everything we just talked about, hundreds of years of waiting. Waiting. The time is fulfilled, guys. I'm here. And because I am here, guess what? The kingdom of God has come near. I'm starting a new thing right now. 
guess what? Get on board, because I'm it. I'm the thing. And then what? Repent. I, and I'm not going to belabor this. I think we all know what repentance is. Repent, you don't have any time. There's no time left. We're so near at hand to this day that I just read about. Don't waste another minute. Repent and believe. The good news, what is the good news? He is the good news. He's the good news. Okay? So Jesus teaches about the kingdom in parables. He demonstrates the kingdom through miraculous signs. Uh, He proclaims the kingdom is at hand. He's driving out demons. He's healing. He's raising from the dead. All to show the kingdom has come near. And I'm manifesting it in this way so you believe Some believed in his message that he was Messiah. It took some time. How long would you say before, like, Peter made his confession? How long? You don't know? Like, maybe a year or two into the ministry where Jesus says, who do you say I am? I mean, he'd spent considerable time with these guys. And Peter's like the one who steps out and says, you're the Messiah, son of God. And he blesses him. And, oh, I can't, that's a whole, that's a whole section I'd love to talk about. Okay. So, but even those who are close to him remained confused as to why they didn't see him fulfilling their expectations the way that they thought he would. Why aren't you restoring the, the kingdom back to Israel? That's, that's, I mean, yes, we're familiar. They were familiar with Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. But really, we were looking forward to the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. That's what we're really looking forward to. Even so much that this holy man that John says is most what does he say? Best among all people born of men. What does he say? Blessed or greatest among all women or all men born from a woman. Good gravy. Even John has his moment of doubt when he's sitting in prison. He just spent his entire career saying this guy is coming. Messiah is coming. Get ready. I'm preparing the way. I actually, I'm not even worthy of untying your, your, your sandals, but now he's in prison. And now he's having his moment of testing. And now he's rethinking, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe that's not the guy. So he sends word to Jesus, and he says, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? See, he wasn't taking back physical governmental authority from Romans. He didn't judge God's enemies right then and there. And most devastatingly, he goes and he suffers and dies under the very authority that he was supposed to conquer. Okay? It made sense that after his resurrection, and he's spent 40 days with these guys after his resurrection. So he's living amongst them, talking among them, having fellowship with them for 40 days. And he's just getting ready to ascend. And the guys are like, it's been 40 days. Is now the time? Is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom, Jesus? All the way up until now. He demonstrated all the other signs. So surely this must be the time. Okay. If Jesus brought the kingdom right then and there, what did that mean for every Gentile? We would have come under the wrath, and we would never have been grafted in. It was never meant to be that way, of course. But in, in Israel's mind, that's all they could think about was themselves. And they didn't see how we fit into this picture. So it would have meant judgment for all of those not in him. See, dis- the disciples could only see Israel's hope, not the whole world. His waiting meant mercy for us. So when we say or we hear scoffers like, oh, you're still waiting on the Lord. It's been 2,000 years. 
Peter experienced the same thing. (laughs) Of course, it hadn't been quite as long for Peter, but Peter was already experiencing scoffers. And you know what he said to them? God is not slow. God is not slow with his promises. In fact, a day is like a thousand years to God. Okay, I I hate it and I love it at the same time because I'm like, well, I don't want a few more thousand years, God. But that's what we're saying. Like, we are hoping as if it's now, but we acknowledge that God is sovereign and holy and has the times and hours and days all, all figured out, and we don't have to know. And that's exactly what Jesus tells the disciples when they say is now the time. He says, it's not up to you to know the day or the hour. In fact, the Son doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. It's so it, it is so far out of your control. <laughs> Let it go, right? There's nothing you can do to bring it, but it's going to get brought, brought it, okay? So make a po- quick point here. I wonder if I can finish in eight minutes. Let's see. <laughs> what surprised first century Jews about Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom was not what the kingdom is, not exactly, but when, Okay? Jesus wasn't doing a revolutionary thing. He wasn't changing scripture. He wasn't redefining the kingdom from what we all just talked about, what we just talked about in the Old Testament. He wasn't redefining it. He wasn't dismissive, dismissive of the law and the prophets, was he? He was keeping a pattern. He was keeping in tune with tradition. He was staying in line with tradition. If he were doing a new thing, he would have squashed that question when they asked, is now the kingdom? He would have been like, dudes, this is it. Welcome. You know, you've got it. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's around you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, did that sound like, Jesus would never sound that way. And I don't mean to make anybody who says it even not so much that way sound that way. But it isn't something like an esoteric idea. It didn't turn into like an intangible thing. It is still a concrete physical kingdom, right? It's not exactly what she wanted. It didn't come exactly when you wanted it, but it's here. Okay, and you know what? Just so you know, just so you take bold confidence in this since apparently three years of walking with me and 40 days spending time with me in my resurrected body isn't enough, I'm gonna go ahead and send you my spirit and my spirit will fill you with all boldness. My spirit will help you recall these words that I've said. My spirit's going to lead you unto all the truth that I've been saying for the last three years, right? I'm only like a page away. Yeah. Whew. So the expectation was to remain, and it remains for us, that the kingdom of God on earth would be fulfilled in the future when Jesus returns. That is waiting is patient mercy for us and for those who have not yet heard. And the prophecies that Jesus didn't yet fulfill that were written, you know, 3,000 years ago, they'll be completed on that day. Okay, now I don't want to get into trouble and somebody to hear something that I'm not saying. So we're going to talk about this part of the kingdom. Jesus' ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension unveiled the kingdom to us, right? It was a partial fulfillment of the kingdom. And that's why I gave us this second point. Can we bring up the defin- my, my definition again? Okay. The, that the kingdom would be universal, 
that it would be reestablished. Now, I put that re. Did that confuse you guys the first time we read it, or did you just you didn't think about it? It was established in Adam and Eve, okay? It was reestablished on earth through Jesus, the Son of Man and Messiah, okay? And it was made available to believers through the Spirit. You can leave that up there for a second until we read the next thing, okay? So we get this partial fulfillment in the Spirit, and I'm going to spend pretty much all of next week talking about that. So hang in there. But that kingdom that we inherit in the future is available for us to receive now. It's not a hard thing for us to grasp. What we decide right now, when he says repent and believe, this is our chance to receive the kingdom. We won't have another one. You don't get another chance, okay? And the, also the good news is we actually get to enjoy some of the power and blessings that it provides us through the Spirit, okay? You can put that lad quote up. George Eldon Ladd, in his book, The Kingdom of God, he says, the kingdom of God is here, but instead of making changes in the external political order of things, it is first, I added the first, first making changes in the spiritual order and in the lives of men and women. How many of you can testify that that is true? That the power that is in the spirit came into you and it transformed you. That you were transferred from the the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of righteousness, weren't you? And there's a power that's working in you that, that is, a, is, is, is agreeing with the Spirit every day that we say yes to it, right? So the New Testament says, and Paul says it in 2 Corinthians and Ephesians 1, he says that the, and I said this earlier, that the down payment of the Spirit gives us a taste of the coming age. That's Hebrews 6, 5 just a taste. Isn't it? It kind of feels unfair sometimes because we want the feast. We want the whole banquet now, but we've been given a taste and God knows better than we do. And he knew that that would be enough, that that would be enough for us. So while the consummation remains in the future and my spirit is groaning for it, I get to live with some of the benefits of that future kingdom. Okay. So let's finish our last point. That Jesus is coming, you feel like I already made this point, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Jesus is coming again to consummate or complete, to perfect the kingdom. And I defined it this way. When all other things, all nations, all enemies of God, sin, death, we know that death is the last enemy, right? All are subjected to the risen and returned Christ. He says the final enemy, death is at last defeated. I'm going to read, I'm going to read more than I have in my notes. You guys want to, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. If you've been, if you have been hanging out with me the last two weeks, you've heard this about twice. You're welcome. 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, I'll read from 20. And then, Debbie, you can put it up when we get to 24. As it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? He died, fell asleep, and he rose. He's the first to do so, to rise unto his resurrected body. If you guys haven't heard about the resurrection of the dead, Ray has an awesome sermon about it. He was last June or something, he preached it. You can find it on our YouTube page. If you don't have this concept of the resurrection coming and you're gonna be in it, you're gonna get a new body in the resurrection. Okay, 
That was for free. Yes, it's worth shouting. For since death came through a man, who was that man? Adam. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward it is coming, those who belong to Christ. And this is the important, well, this is the part, part I wanted to emphasize with our point about the kingdom. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign, he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception, meaning God doesn't subject himself to himself. But when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. So I like to think of it this way. We, we have pretty much in the 21st century accepted a triune God, right? God, three persons. I'm going to propose to you a dual throne kingdom, a kingdom with a throne in the heavens, the universe, universal kingdom, and a, and a throne that's going to be on this earth. And when those two collide, that's the day. That's the day that we look for. What did Paul, John, Peter, and others look forward to as they realized the kingdom of God on earth? Read Isaiah 65 when you go home. Read Revelation 21 and 22. No more death, no mourning, no weeping, no pain, and no more night. Anything short of that, we're groaning for it. We're waiting with eager anticipation for it. Amen? Okay. I want to get into next week a little bit about the discipleship piece of this, but I just want to say really quickly, <clears throat> the apple seeds that Larry talked about, and this can be, maybe let's stand together. I was going to ask you, I was going to shout it out, what are the seeds, Larry? I guess the seeds could be anything that the Lord puts in your hand, right? Well, do you know that Israel was given some seed? Israel was given the oracles of God, it says, Paul says. They were given the whole of Scripture. They were given the law and the prophets. But then Jesus says, Woe to you, lawyers and scribes. Woe to you because you were given the keys to knowledge and you didn't go in and you kept people from going in. Go into what? Go into the kingdom. They had all the prophecy needed to see all the signs that Jesus had come and they didn't see him. They didn't go in. And they were keeping oppressing people, poor people, ignorant people, because they depended on these guys for their knowledge of God. You prevented them from going in, so I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to those who are producing its fruit. Okay? So we have seed. We have seed. And if I want to be somebody who's found on that day as one who's producing the fruit of the kingdom. Okay? Now, I can ask you, you know, what is the fruit of the kingdom? And you guys might list for me the Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, okay? But I'm going to propose to you that God was seeing people. He was seeing people when he said that. That you, to you has been given the spirit. To you has been given the key. And you've gone in, we hope. You've gone in. Now lead others in. Take others in. Take others in. This is not a call to the nations. This is a call to your neighbor. 
okay? We all need people to sow into the kingdom's the, the seed, really. We can just scatter it out there. We can just throw it. Or we can take the time to really sow it in, in, ground, that's, in ground that's ready. And I, and I have to tell you, we've learned the lesson that discipleship does not come easy. And you might spend two years with somebody who's wrestling, who's wrestling with the kingdom. But you standing with them and you cultivating that, you are producing a tree. And that will hopefully produce its own fruit. Okay, so let's just bow our heads. Father, we want to be found on that day as, as people who are producing the fruit of the kingdom. We want to be recreating ourselves. We want to be filling the earth with your glory, even on this side of the age to come. We want to be filling the earth with, with lovers of, of Jesus who proclaim your name everywhere that they go. For those, for the world looks at us and says, they love differently. They look differently. They have a hope that's driving them, and it doesn't seem like anything gets them down. They put their trust in something else, and I want that. One of the guys that we disciples, he says, you know, I think about this, uh, this uh, day of the Lord and you know, this messianic kingdom, and I got to tell you, because he's pretty hopeless. He's like, that sounds pretty good, and I really want that. We eagerly anticipate that reality Jesus, so every day we say, come. But not if it means any will perish because we didn't take the time to sow the seed. Help us, Lord. Help the laborers and help there be laborers in the fields where they're needed. And send us with this confidence that we now know the good news. We know the good news and we want to lead others into it. Give us a boldness. You promised it. You promised the boldness that would come with the Spirit. And so we say, let it be. If I'm to be bold, give me boldness because I don't feel boldness. But I'm going to believe that since you said it, it's there. Guys, I'm not qualified to be on this stage. You're not qualified either. And that's okay because it's the Spirit at work in us anyways. <sighs> if you need to come forward and, and get prayer to get right before the Lord. If you need to come up and get prayer so that the kingdom of God manifests on your body and you get healed, let's do that. Let's have the ministry team come forward. And if you just want to recommit yourself to this purpose, God, you, your kingdom is not yet. It is yet coming. And I want to sow into that thing. And I want to reap harvest from that thing. And I want to propel people in the same hope that you've given me. Jesus. Phil, do you want to come up? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You're so good, God. Thank you. You're so good, God. Thank you, God. Lord, just as those disciples hoped, Lord, we hope too. Thank you, Father. This is those Disciples hoped and longed for the overthrow of these, these wicked kings, God, and wicked rulers, Lord. Uh, we hope, too, in the same way, Father. We thank you. We hope in the same way today as they did 2,000 years ago. Oh, God, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There's just such a weight of glory 
uh, just, yeah. I just wanted to say, if I prayed in the beginning about we had a time of celebration, but that's not everybody's reality right now. And if you're going through something and you really want kingdom to manifest in that situation. Now, part of me is going to tell you, you're going to have to endure it a little bit, endure through it. But then I'm also not going to deny that God is not so faithful and loving that he won't come into that situation and, and help you through whatever means, whether that's a financial breakthrough, whether that's a relational breakthrough, whether that's a whatever you're believing for. We're going to pray with you on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? So if you need prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. you are the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams and our hope is in you Jesus our hope is in you our soon coming king Lord we thank you Jesus for what you spoke out and what you said today and Lord as we as we come under the, just the glory of your presence as testimonies have come of what you were doing now as, as Lord as the kingdom was released through DSSM and these, these healings and testimonies that came forward, Lord, we just also sit under the awe and the expectation of what is to come, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you this morning, Lord. Just uh, thank you for the, for the seeds that have been planted. We thank you also, and that was my prayer for Melissa, that there would be water too while you were listening, that there was a watering of the Word of God in every heart in this room. Thank you, Lord. And, and then we just... Give it to you that you would be the one that would cause this to grow. And that's what Paul says, that it's the Lord that causes it to grow. So we just thank you. We bless every heart in this room, every seed that was planted. Lord, may it bear much fruit. No more hope deferred, right, makes the heart grow sorrowful, Lord. But I thank you that that fulfillment is, is in you and you are, <laughs> Lord, you are. You are the one that we long for. But we also can be those trees of life. We can be that tree. We can be those apple trees that just go out, multiply, 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 sowing seeds, seeing new fruit grow. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Just encourage you guys just to just come up and just find a spot on the altar if you just want to take a minute. If you have family, I just encourage you to head out at this moment. Just celebrate with me again. Lord, thank you for the healing. Thank you for the word that was delivered today. And, and Lord, we thank you that this week, that the, there will be such a, a meditation that we would give ourselves over, uh, Lord, and, and not only in the word of God, but for you, Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, that, that uh, what was spoken would just uh, take deep root in our hearts. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Um, Melissa's going to be speaking again next week, so just come prepared again. We're excited about uh, what she's bringing. 
we are hearing some just incredible testimonies also from uh, DSSM year two in Tennessee. Um, and so just love what God's doing in this moment. Uh, Angelica, I think she's already left, but she had, oh, she's right there. She had, a, uh, she went to the doctor. She had 60% lung capacity, um, and that did change to 70%. But um, when she was being prayed over, she said it completely came off, and she can breathe normally, functionally. There's, there's, there's nothing else there from her understanding. There's complete freedom to her lungs. So thank you, God. Just another demonstration of your kingdom. And we are thankful. Bless you guys. Take a couple minutes uh, and, and bless somebody that you don't know. Encourage each other in the Lord. Encourage each other. Amen. Thank you.